Welcome back to RuneLanders. I'm Adam, otherwise known as DM RuneWise. Now, last episode, you met the freshly formed fellowship of felons I call the Rapscallions, including the notorious notary known as Nariru, his sister, the funerist Ziva, the nicest necromantics you'll ever want to meet, former gladiator known as Magma making a comeback, the master criminal Arabex, the tabaxi back alley sawbones known as Mr. Stitch, and the purveyor of fine curiosities and small wonders called Calder. As we rejoin our anti-heroes, everyone is standing on the street in front of Mr. Calder's shop. Ziva excuses herself to retire for the day after her long trip. We rejoin the company starting with magma magma kind of looks over at you know everybody from their ragtag band and says oh i like him he's small me but i like he reminds me of someone (laughs) well is that a good thing or a bad thing mr stick it is a sort of thing that makes me raise an eyebrow if i actually had eyebrows Um, when is Fight. Is that tonight, or is that like a few days from Well, that officer will be fighting tonight. Magma's not scheduled to join the ticket until next three-day. I would like to go just so that she can get, sort of, like, she can watch him and glean from him uh, what, A, his fighting style is, and B, it's basically like research, for the lack of a better term, sort of doing a recce so that yep, she no, knows I... how to effectively fight her Yes, well done. So, um, you're going to do that. Well, the rest of the the rest of the afternoon, uh, what do you got? What is what are the rest of you going to do? So, if Magma's going to the fight tonight, um, I guess the rest of the afternoon is really uh, finding some place to put Magma for the night. And uh, like Nari, your apartment won't do, unless you want to give her your apartment and uh, go stay with his lordship. Well, is the uh, the servant's uh, sort of jobs worth got his own little apartment? I'm sure, right? Like yes, even if it's only like yes, you're right. Sewing Jobsworth. room. Kind of right? Jobsworth does have his own apartment, so um, you could give her that one if you wanted. Yeah, yeah. Because if you'll recall, be... the fifth apprentice is at your place. So I'm like basically homeless at this point, right? More or less, yeah. Like I mean. Oh, darling, you can always stay with me. Well, I think I've heard a few couch offers over the course of the day for, like, various, like, between me and Jobsworth, so. Yeah. So, you get Magma squared away with some new accommodations. This one doesn't have quite the wardrobe, but uh, it's a little neat apartment, uh, which is available immediately, and it's not too far away from Arabet's place. It's just far enough away from the harbor that it doesn't smell like fish. Um, not a bad little spot. Uh, probably twenty to thirty a month. But uh, Jobsworth takes Jobsworth. He just appears out of nowhere uh, when the dealings need to be done with the landlord of the place. Just shows up, hands off some money, then takes off around the corner, and Nari comes out of the can a minute later. Um, you know he. Uh, so, so anyway, it's a clean little spot, fully furnished. Um, you have the clothes on your back, and uh, Jobsworth gave you a stipend from his lordship for, uh, 
you look at it, it's uh, it's 55 in talons and stallions. Well, I suppose I'd best go find myself something to wear that is a little more, I wouldn't say upscale, but certainly nicer than what I've got. I mean, the robes are lovely, but I should probably try and find something else. All right. Well, you uh, hit a few of the, you know, affordable boutiques, somewhere that you can get a, a decent set of clothes and... You know, you outfit yourself fairly well. I mean, it's 55 gold and things cost silver, right? So um, you wind up with a little bit of change at the end of it and two handfuls of bags. And, you know, by the time you get back, Jobsworth's maid has come through and dusted and cleaned the place up and stocked the shelves and your pantry's full. And you've got a cold box, um, just a small one. But when you look in there, there's a roast chicken and you know, a bunch of vegetables and things like that, and several uh, jars of beer. Yes! So there will be a bit of priming before she goes to the fight tonight, then. Right. This place doesn't have the quaint little balcony that uh, Ziva's place does, but, you know, it's got a good view of the park, and uh, the windows open up, so you kind of sit on the one chair that you have, because really you've got, like, one chair... A little sofa, a small hearth that opens up both onto the hearth and into the bedroom, and a powder room with an attached. Is there? Bedroom. It's more or less. Is there a, like a window ledge? There's a window ledge, yeah, and like tall long windows. Think like, uh, think like a Paris one room or one bedroom apartment in Paris, right? So like twelve foot tall ceilings with, uh, you know, a couple of a couple of small rooms, just enough for you, right? But it's got if little... she's got the window open, yeah, yeah, she'll sit on the window ledge and just kind of, you know, have a cup of tea or not even so much tea. If there's booze stocked, <laughs> she'll grab one of those. So you crack the lid off the beer and uh, sit down on the window ledge and have that. And that's where we're going to fade that scene out. When we fade back in, there's a little, there's this gray-skinned dwarf taking a shit-kicking from this super nimble elf, right? Like, there's just like the dwarf is. He, he hits like a train, but he can't get a he can't get a mitt on this elf who's just picking him apart, and the whole crowd is going crazy. The ring is uh, hexagonal, and uh, you know there's a whole there, there's three balconies, three tiers of balconies which rise ever higher, and above that, in the middle, there's uh, like a suspended booth, like a up in the fly. Right. That's where the announcer is and that's where they play the music. And that's where like, you know, um, they've got the hollow. They've got the hollow gem that uh, catches the fight and projects screens all over the place. So you can't miss it. Right. And there's women walking around with trays of drinks over their head, like various species of people. And there's all kinds. They're watching the fight and they're all right into it. There's like, oh, there's money changing hands and. You know, this sort of thing. The place just, uh, the, the place smells like sawdust and dried blood and old beer, right? And it's very much alive. And it smells like the body odor of uh, 200 people because that's exactly what's in here. You know, there's various bars being staffed and music being played. And the fight's going on and the elf is just picking this dwarf apart. And then, uh, you know, we switch off to uh, the second balcony where Magma is dressed in her, uh, well, why don't you describe the clothes you bought? Well, they're slim-fitting, obviously, fitted. Um, but they're professional or 
as professional looking as they can get, but there's still room for her to kind of move around in. Okay. So, uh, yeah, you're, you're dressed professionally, but, uh, business, you're dressed in business attire for your particular brand of business, right? So, um, yeah, the next person who, uh, comes in is, uh, Arabet and, uh, Mr. Stitch. Uh, Stitch, you're dressed up in, uh, heavy cloak and uh you know the, the kind of slinking along behind bat hunched over a bit so you're shorter and you just seem like a gray cloak butler sort of thing right so the next person yeah like i said magma you're waiting by the railing on the second level of the uh waiting by the railing on the second level of the balconies and uh arabette and stitch happen along oh, good lord it smells like a barn in here it is a barn. Uh, yeah, 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 fine. If you want to get technical about the whole thing, but it, it, uh, never mind. Uh, I obviously am a lot more um, perceptive about the aroma that's going through here than you are. But what? Well, it's fine. I'll keep it to myself. Right. Let's see what his back room is like. Just then, the elf scores a knee underneath the dwarf's jaw, the dwarf's chin, and uh, lays him out flat like a tabletop. He lands on the dirt, and the elf takes that same knee and drops it into the center of his chest, and the whole crowd just like, oh! Right? The dwarf is hurt from this. He gets up, and he's clearly staggered. And that's when the elf kind of launches into his finishing move. But uh, unsurprisingly, this gray-skinned, bald dwarf, he doesn't even have much of a beard. Just kind of reaches out and grabs, like, as this elf jumps up with a big spinning finisher kick, the dwarf reaches out, grabs him by the ankle, and spins him around so that his head impacts with one of the uh, posts of the ring, and there's this, like, deep, wet smack, and then the elf just ragdolls. Dwarf goes over, lifts an eye, then puts his hand up before the ref or anybody can get in, right? And the whole crowd just goes shit crazy with it, and, you know, you see the elf's people climb into the ring, and they pick him up and drag him off and the elf is the dwarf is put up on people's shoulders and carried off and then the next match gets set up this is absolutely brutal it's just it's just oh my god it's how it is how you doing magma oh well you know i'm just uh doing a little bit of recon if you catch me drift looking good doing it too listen uh can I fix you up with a VIP booth, uh, get you a real good view? I got a spare one. Bottle service is on me. Don't worry. Oh, about it. You start your comeback here in my joint. I got your back, baby. Have you thought about a manager yet? I have not. Uh, I am, of course, you know, keeping a, a weather eye out. Uh, but thank you very much for your your gracious host. Uh, you'll keep Greenick in mind for that, you know, because I could do that. You know, I always thought I'd look great in the arena, you know, telling people what was going on. You know, the one, the only, you know her, you love her, you cannot fucking live without her, etc. Magma, you know, get them all on their feet, stomping and, you know, and then the mates, you know, I can handle all that for you, babe. Don't you worry about that. You're coming back up here, you're honoring me with your presence, let me buy you and your buddies here a couple of bottles of hooch. You're too kind, Grenick. I do appreciate it. Thank you. Well, you go with Stephanie here, and she'll take you right back. Stephanie is this incredibly buxom, half-elf, sort of woman of indeterminate 
this, this extraction. She's so incredibly mixed, you couldn't put what kind of person she is on her. But uh, she's very voluptuous and wearing a small outfit. Um, rather than carrying a tray of drinks, however, she has a key. And she goes, um, Miss Magma, gentlemen, if you'll come with me. Magma nods and sort of appropriately follows behind said voluptuous, buxom woman. Now, who in particular might be watching them? Well, that's a good question, and I'm going to need a honor system perception roll from anybody who wants to look. So if you got dice handy, roll them and tell me what you get. I rolled a 12. As did I. I got a plus one. I've got a terrible perception. All right. Well, the... Uh, the crowd just seems to be having a good time. Like, I mean, there's dudes sleezing on to women and people watching the fight. Watching the and then there's fight. gaming tables off to the side and, you know, all this other sort of thing that goes on in uh, these types of environments. Here, would you be so kind as to roll for me, please? Uh, what is your plus, my dear? Plus four. Yeah. For Mr. Stitch, you rolled an eight. Derp. It's really stinky and loud in here, Stitch. It's hard to focus. Oh my god, what was that crunching sound? You look over and there's an orc chewing on a bone. Like he's eating all the meat out of it, he's gnawing on the bone at a blackjack table. I'm going to be physically ill. What? What? No, just hair. <laughs> oh, darling, maybe just, we should get you a little bit of pumpkin for that. It's just hair and you're all, you're, it's hair, it's hair, Stitch, you'll be alright. I'll be fine, Maggie. I'm sorry. I just need to, I need a moment to myself. Oh, oh God, the orc smells. Yeah. So, you know, you get to this, uh, you, you follow this Stephanie woman and she opens this door. She takes the key and opens the door to the VIP room. And, uh, you know, it swings open and uh, it's quiet despite the bustle outside, right? And, like, there's a soft blue glow that, follows the front railing and it's about the size of an opera box with a bit of a party room behind it right there's a couple of couches and a bar and there's a bartender waiting and you know as you come in the bartender is warforged and comes on is it no it's automated it's not an actual warforged because it's only half a being it's wired in from the waist up it's good evening and welcome can i offer you a drink Oh, darling, of course you can. What would you like? What exactly do you have on service? We have, and then it lists an exhaustive list of drinks. And finally, zombie slime. Let's do that, shall we? Very good, miss. And it turns around and reaches out behind it and grabs a bunch of bottles off the uh, off the shelves and uh, mixes up this long, thin... It looks like a shooter that's about 12 inches tall. There you go. One zombie slime. Courtesy of Grenix Palace. Do you think that thing... Is it? Is it intelligent? Like, can you make something other than drink? Certainly. We have a full menu of delicious items available from our kitchen. What can I get? Well, can I get you? No, nothing. Nothing. Nope, I walk away from it. No. We also have a wide selection of recreational drugs. Oh, wait, hold on. Uh, the, uh, what exactly are you selling? Hey, we, that, have, that. 
we have, and it starts at A, and finally, zombie powder. Not recommended for non-habitual users. I see. I find that very intriguing. That's, that's how much money do we have. You're not doing zombie powder. I is for it's for um uh scientific purpose. Zombie powder coming right up. <laughs> and it hands you a vial of zombie powder. I can't stop it. Look, it's meant to be. Courtesy of Granix Palace. I kind of pocket it, and uh, I'm not sure how to do this shit, so I'll experiment with it. Can I get you a drink, sir? Milk. Perhaps something from the kitchen? Milk? What kind of milk? We have... And Yeti milk. The answer is yes. Milk cocktail coming up. And it pours you like a... You know like those great big pho bowls? Like when you go out to the pho joints and you, you get those great big bowls of tom yum soup and whatnot. So you get a big bowl of that like with the, the finest blend of, of milks and creams like you have ever tasted. It has um like an umbrella and a few other garnishes in it. Right. Like I, like I bring it in close to myself and I smell it a little bit and I lean over to Arabet and go, I'm gonna have the shit slate. <laughs> what about you, sir? Can I get you a drink? Whiskey. What sort of whiskey? We have Abrenagor. And Xenophon's Bane. Let's go with the Bane. Xenophon's Bane, coming right up. And then out of its little finger, there's uh like, it takes a tumbler in its hand, sticks its little finger in the glass, and fills it about a quarter full of this gold liquid. And when I say gold liquid, I mean it looks like liquid gold. Very nice. And as you have a taste of it, neat. It touches your lips and then your tongue and then it goes down your throat and there's like visions of singing angels and the clouds opening up and heavenly choirs and, you know, little baby angels shooting bows at other little baby angels and all of this other sort of thing. It's just beautiful. It's like a revelation on your tongue. And, uh, you know, the door kind of closes then, it swings closed, and there's, a, you know, the, the club noise is out, and it's like, would you like me to remove the shield? Of course, darling, you can't hear the uh, deafening crack of bone if uh, there's something between you and... Certainly. And the blue, like, that blue glow goes down, and there's, like, this huge... <sighs> And now, in this corner, the terror of the Imperial Navy, coming in at 7 feet, 10 inches, weighing 470 pounds, it's Carl Golson! And the whole crowd's like... <sighs> and this Did you say 7 feet? What? Brick <laughs> of a Goliath steps into the ring. In this corner, weighing in a combined weight of 782 pounds from the wilds of Scotia, let's hear it for 17 goblins! And these goblins are all kind of herded into the ring like, okay, this is not what we agreed to, man. <laughs> this is not this is not this shit. This is, what the fuck is that, man? You know, and this... You know, like they, they they like turn back, and there's this 
guy with a like he's wearing this long coat and he's got a well manicured beard and he's got a like some paperwork in his hand and in the other hand like he's got these chrome plated fingernails with lightning dancing between them and the goblins look back at him and then look at the goliath and they look at each other and then they shrug and they all charge right now being fair what happens next is that this Goliath guy gets jumped on by 17 goblins, and he's one man, and there are 17 of them. He's a great big man. He's a great big, thick, broad, strong, muscular man. He's way bigger than most humans, for sure. But there are 17 goblins. So they jump on him, and they give him a shit pummeling. And that's what you see from where you are. He just goes under this wave of goblins, and they're all kicking and punching, and punching and kicking. It stays that way for about 15 seconds. And then, like, where you would judge his right hand to be, a goblin goes flat in its back and then disappears. And then where you judge his left hand to be, a goblin goes flat in its back and disappears. And then they all, he, they all go bursting off in a cloud as he stands up with a goblin in either hand. And then where the rest of them are all scattered, they're standing. The first one he spins and throws the goblin in his right hand so hard that you can hear the impact. You can feel it from where you are. And they're both flat as shit. The second goblin he's got by the femur, right? And he's wailing around because it's got great big Goliath knuckles crushing right up in its groin, right? Well, not to say, the, not, like to mention nothing of the fact that this Goliath's whole thumb is across this goblin's ass. Now... The rest of the goblins that are coming in to try and swarm him again are getting swatted aside with this poor goblin who's making, like, you know, incoherent squeak noises who's, because their nose has been broken off onto their cheek. Now, when your nose extends four inches out from your face, that's a substantial fight. That's a substantial break and kind of disfiguring. But uh, after he smacks out eight of the remaining goblins, that one that he has in his hand is getting a little squishy, so he clears out four more with another throw. Now he's facing off against, you know, the few who remain. Several of them just fall on their knees and start to grovel because, you know what, fuck this. But the other ones, there's probably three of them. They remember Fury of the Small, and they attack. And it's on. Like, these goblins can fight. Don't make any mistake. Like, yeah, they're comical. Yeah, they're small. But you know what goblins, you know what else goblins are? Anybody care to take a guess? That's right. Fucking crazy. So these goblins come on like it's, you know, this is the end of days. And they come at this giant with heat. You know, like they use their tactics. They, like, he can't hit any of them. They're bouncing around. He's taking swings. They're climbing up and biting and gouging and swinging. But, uh... At one point, things looked like they could tip in the goblin's favor. But that's when, just completely out of nowhere, he does a full somersault, like just a roll, just a front roll, and squashes the two goblins off his back. The one that was clinging onto his chest reaches up, scurries around to his back, and manages to get his arms locked around the Goliath's head in a rear-naked choke. Crushing on, the giant seems to be losing. Yeah, look at that. His knees are going, oh, he's on his knees. He's sinking forward. Not really. He reaches behind his head, pulls the goblin off, and then throws it through one of the other force fields in one of the VIP booths. The crowd just goes absolutely apeshit for that. The Goliath stands up. There's, like, people throwing clothing and, you know, bits of paper. And, you know, the crowd is just going nuts. He stands up, raises one hand to the sky, and then just walks out through the crowd. Doesn't talk to anybody. 
Magma is sort of leaning forward, watching this very intently, um, just to sort of pick out, like, obviously he's got the endurance, the constitutional fortitude to effectively outlast everything that might be thrown at him is, is what she's effectively gotten from this. Yep, and you fought Goliaths in the ring before. They're tough, right? Like they're north. They're northern. They're really northern. They're half giants, and they're, they have a real kinship with stone, like everybody from out that way. It's like fighting an earth gene, you know? You've done that a few times, too. They're tough as a bugger. It's their connection to the world. But there's a thing about stone, right? Get it hot enough. Yeah, eventually it either melts or it breaks, one of the two. Of the so two. she kind of nods slightly and sort of watches him sort of depart uh, very sort of intently. I, I, like, I'm sure anybody who happens to be watching her will, will note that she is very intently watching him. Yep, okay. So Magma's leaning on the leaning on the railing. Watching the whole fight go, counting it out in her mind. Now, you replay this several times, because the whole thing takes about a minute and a half, right? Like, he's, you, you would expect more of a show, but God, it was an action-packed minute and a half. You know, like, especially when you thought those goblins had him at the end. Like, that was a twist. But no, he, uh, he outlasted them. He made them think they were strong when they were weak. He knows what he's doing. So he's had some sort of fight training before, for sure. Well, he's part of the Merchant Navy, right? Uh, Maggie? Hmm? Oh, yes, Mr. Stitch, how can I help you? I won't mean to be a bit of a pass, but um, I think he's going to smush you, uh, unless you can come up with some sort of idea. Oh, darling, aren't you cute, worried for my safety? Uh, yeah, that's my job. That's what I, that's what I'm paid to do. I've got I'm a few. Oh, good, good point, sir. I would be very interested in the odds myself. I think at this point I have some money, but not a, not like a ton. So, well, we do not have money from Mister Calder, right? You know, we we can use that. We don't have to use all of it. No, I, I don't understand coin that well as, as Mr. Bet does, but you know, we do have a little bit to spread it around and maybe uh, uh, figure out what we can do to uh, up the odds in our favor. We are supposed to be, or I am supposed to be, partaking in this fight within two days' time? Uh, well, it's eight day, and your next fight is on three day, so that's five days. My best piece of advice for you, especially if you want to be able to increase the amount of coin that you've got, is to start to place your bets on Carl Coulson, the Goliath, the meanest piece of stone within the Southern Hemisphere currently. His odds, chances are, it is a guaranteed payout, but it will be a small payout. At the very least, however, it will be small measures of coin rather than going all in on somebody who may or may not win. The exception to that would be, of course, when I step into the ring. Well, the other thing, too, is going to be reestablishing yourself, right? Like, remember, you've been in the mines for a few years now. 
and you're not a going concern anymore. People remember you as a nostalgia thing. You need to show them you're serious, right? And that means starting at the bottom. So that means you better get up first thing in the morning and go for a run, Rocky. Oh, damn. You know, like he's serious. And if he gets his mitts on you, like honestly, yeah, you're used to getting pawed at by miners. Yeah, you can fight a whole gang of horny orcs. Yeah, you can, you know, you can take down anybody in the mines. But this guy is a merchant naval officer. He's a great big merchant naval officer. He's also an inhuman officer of the Imperial Navy, which means that, in your experience, they've indoctrinated him good. He's a tough motherfucker, and he's only got rank because he's taken it from everybody else, right? Remember how human-centric they are. Even your gene people are, um, well, you're, you're, you're exactly the same as any other human, Unless it's an or unless it's just like a baseline human, in which case they're better than every other kind of human. Maggie. Oh yes, Mister Stitch. All right, I, I've got a couple of ideas, uh, and my ideas are kind of like random and cat-like. But I do speak goblin, and those goblins were nice and close to him. And if I could talk to them, we might be able to find a little bit of a weakness, like if he's got a glass jaw or a bad knee or something along those lines. The second thing is, I'd like to see him fight at least one more time. Up close. Nice and nice and close-like. Three, uh, I think you're going to need a physical. Uh, for me, uh, that's fine. And the fourth thing is, I sometimes have a, a hard time understanding if he's male or female. What, what sex is he? The terror of the Imperial Navy? Oh, he's very much male of the species. Then he has a penis. Kick that. Line of the I do, Line of the indeed. Uh, I do believe I agree with all three of, or at least all four of your points. I will make it noted, however, that uh, at least with earth and stone, the best way to make it weak is to heat it up. At least my several years of experience down in the mines have taught me that. I, yeah, but he's flesh, isn't he? Like, well, flesh hurts when it burns. Uh, is that legal? It's not sort of an official fight like I've been, of course, privy to in the past. It's not like a gladiatorial type of thing, at least here on the outer rims in the in Grenick's palace. I think all bets are off when it comes to what is legal and what is not. But hey, I do man, agree man. that How at the least. Mr. Grenick, doing very well. I, right. I may believe I will have to come back to your fine establishment to watch the terror of the Imperial Navy a few more times. He's a very interesting Any individual to me. Any old time. Listen, you come back next week. You start. We're going to get you in in a decent card. You give it uh, two, three months, you'll be fighting Carlson in no time, all right? We just, right now, we got him in specialty opponents, and we can't just put him up against uh, somebody, you know, without a reputation. You know how it is. We got to build these things. Of course, I'm more than happy to build my reputation, just so you know it's probably going to grow faster than you think. I'm sure it is. I'm sure it is. Baby, you're a superstar. I love everything you've ever done, I'm telling you. 
Like even oh, honey, you know that. You and I both know that. These people here know that. It's those people down there that don't know that. Well, and they this, will is, need- this is it. I'm thinking, you know, with a talent like yours and a brains like mine for management, you know, I could, we could take this all the way up to the Imperial Games next, uh, you know, next Tyrus type. Oh, y'all literally watch as there's a bit of a flare, kind of like how she did when she went to the curio shop, but she gets it into control very, very quickly. Because you know what? That Blaze Mook, he's a joker. I see him on all the hollows. Oh, he's so big. Oh, he's the best. Let me tell you, sweetness. And you don't mind if I call you sweetness. Trust me, you don't mind if I call you sweetness because I got friends in this town. And if I like you, that's important. It's a time of affection. Relax. You're burning my seats. But here's the thing. I would say, sir, how dare you mention that man's name in my presence. But Bubbler. Bubbler. the nature, Bubbler. The nature okay. that you have mentioned Honey, that we're fucker's ta- name. Honey, it's we're a- gonna we're gonna take him down. We're going to the games next year. You know that Carlson. We're gonna train you up. We're gonna get you back in shape. We're gonna we're gonna we're gonna take we're gonna do this. I'm gonna make a thing out of this. Well, you watch. You watch. I got this, sweetie. You gotta trust me on this. Well, at the very least, as she gestures to the Tabaxi, we do have a. A doctor on staff who is willing to help out in this particular scenario. Well, that's your corner team, then. There you go. You're good. Uh, listen, um, hey, uh, your uh, your name there, you there, handsome, over in the corner, Arabet. I know all about you. There ain't going to be any trouble here tonight, is there? No. All right, because I don't want any trouble. I'm just, you know, I run a, I run a square fight club. Booze, broads, and a little bit of dope. But nothing fishy. No, no disrespect. You know, a little bit of ass kicking here and there, just like you expect from this sort of joint. And that's what I'm doing, and that's what I'm about. I don't need anything criminal. It's a straight-up fight. Very good. Now, uh, you help yourself to everything but that gold whiskey, all right? Because that shit is expensive, and uh, no offense, but uh, I ain't here to get ripped off. I'm here to invest a bit. And uh, Miss Magma, if you're with her, you're all right. But come on, man. Everybody knows about you. Fair enough. I mean, if Thrash is to be believed. Thrasher is to be believed. I thought so. He didn't seem to sort the fuck around like that. So anyway, welcome to my establishment, Mr. Arabet. And please don't cause any trouble. I got a few connections we know in, our, we know in common, you know? Agreed. And I think it is good for us to be friendly. I think so, too. But please don't drink me out of that one bottle of whiskey that I got. Oh, I, just the one taste was all I needed. That's for, like, should the Empress herself come by and say, Hey, Grenick, give me some fucking hooch. That's what I got set aside for, you know? Could happen. It could, with magma fighting here. That's what I'm saying. But, you know, that's for another time. Listen, why don't you have some fun tonight? Have a good time. Get your yayas out, because I'll tell you something, Magma. And I'm not trying to be an asshole here, all right? Like, look at me. Do I look like a fucking asshole to you? I haven't seen many, so I will say no. 
Like, this is here. Come on. I'm the most honest-looking orc you're going to meet. All right? But I'm telling you, I don't want to go putting all this hype up if you're just going to go out drinking and partying and getting laid right and left and not putting any focus in the fight and getting chumped. I ain't see, we ain't seen you in a couple of years. You want to do a comeback, we're going to do it right. So enjoy yourself. You get tomorrow off. I'm thinking one day on one day, one day morning, okay? Now you listen to me. One day morning, I'll be by. We'll get you out. We'll get you started. How about guy. I meet you? How about I meet you here tomorrow morning, bright and early, there, sunshine? Well, if you th- if you think you can do it, like I mean, it's you can stay here as late as you want. You know, I'm just saying, like take your wife, you know. Oh no, darling, I'm not here to get my myself all shit faced. I'm here to do research and development, um, research in my talk. All right, well, uh, enjoy yourself. I got the wrong idea. Listen, I'm going to leave you alone. I got a, I got a buzz in my ear here. That somebody's uh, whipping on my girls down in the uh, craps game. I got to take care of this shit. So, listen, you enjoy yourself. Again, it's on the house. Bet, keep your fucking hands out of my rare liquors. You got it. All right. Other than that, enjoy yourselves. All right. Oh, thank you, darling Granick. You have a good time. And then he turns around and leaves. The room is yours again. Where is it? So you're going to just start training in the morning then? Oh, hells yes. Did you see how big that motherfucker was? Hells yes. Like, fucker has got at least a two and a half foot height difference on me. Don't get me wrong. Magma is good. Magma is good. But this is going to require a little bit more precision, of course, on my part. And... Please do not misunderstand. Fighting in the mines has allowed me a certain freedom and lateral forms of movement. I have been able to expand upon my repertoire. However, this man is a big motherfucker, and it is going to require, of course, all of my concentration. So training should have started yesterday. So I see Pokin, and I, I don't want to be, like, rude. Uh, but do you want to be sporting here, or do you want to cheat? In this house, we will not cheat. What? She almost gives... Not Arabet, but she almost... She gives the person who has mentioned cheating a very, very dirty look. Be the most legit criminals I ever heard of. Well, it's Jobsworth. He's, he's a little bit short, and that guy was really, really big. I don't know. That's, he'd cheat. I'd cheat if I had to fight him. Well, I sort of know what we've gotten into here in this Grenock. I don't think we want to piss him off either. So I suggest we not cheat in the house. What we do on the street, on the other hand. I I hate to mention this, but uh, this half-orc that just left, uh, what was his name again? Grenock. He thinks that this is going to take months, weeks, we don't have that sort of time. We got to have a reputation and fucking fast. We have a little bit of time. As I said, and I was very much not lying, chances are my reputation will take off faster than you think. I think you should pick a fight with someone. That uh, I'm just saying. What, tonight? Well, I would not be doing it tonight. 
like me personally, I would not be doing it tonight. I'm drinking milk and other things at the moment. If you pick a fight tonight, I'm cheating. I will not be cheating in any of my fights. As she looks at Jawworth very sternly. What we need is to look at the roster and then pick a fight. Not tonight, obviously, but pick a fight that we can win. Magma said she wasn't going to cheat. That doesn't constrain Didn't me. say anything about the rest of you guys. And as we leave that scene there for a moment, we look back to the past. In faraway Paradua, home of the elemental super soldiers known as the Gene. They were created in the Crusade to help the Imperatory topple the corrupt yet still mighty gods of old. And when the Crusade was over, and they had no war to fight, they turned to their war-forged shock troops and built a society which even today produces most of the Empire's wonders of war. The place is called Amberton, and it's at the toe of the Paraduan Peninsula, overlooking the Strait of Adastra. Magma, you know this because you were born into it. However, your name's not Magma right now. No, that won't be your name for a few years. Right now, you're just little Zoya Pentine, fifth daughter of a proud military house. Your mother is well thought of. She was a respected soldier, she's had a large family, and she's very proud of you. As she stands you out there in your little white shift, you're like eight years old and marched out into the town marshalling area to be selected. You're absolutely sure that you're going to be, like, they're absolutely sure that you're a cavalier and you're going to make it in the cavalry. And, uh, I mean, your brother was cruel with this, but... You're sure you can get it? Three rings out of three, right? Yeah, it's not It's not my thing, though. I love, I mean, I do it because my mom is, I mean, to see the look on her face and, and you know, to, you know, have her, have her proud of me. But it's not, I mean, it's not my thing. I like, I'm more hands-on. And I find that I'm just able to, almost be like that primordial primordial flame and just move and whip around faster than any of my brothers ever could. Yeah. But your brothers, they like, I mean, they sweep down like a wildfire, you know, your, your, that, that's the fire cavalry and there is nothing more intimidating. And that's your, that's, that's your legacy, Zoya. That's what you're going to do. You get the number of times you've heard your father say that, but I mean, he's an earthborn engineer right he's like he married up really i mean not he's no slouch he was as decorated and served as honorably as everybody else but he married into the pentine family you know and that means something so all of your brothers are for these famous cavaliers and your older sisters and you know they've gone on to very very glorious command positions and they you know they command shock shock platoons and keep the empire safe for everybody but i mean it's the cavalry for you it's not really your thing so that's probably why you missed the last ring and when you miss the last ring there's a collective gasp from the crowd and And i think at that point in time is when she would probably use the back end of the lance almost like she would with a quarterstaff to whack it and spin it around so it drops and then there's the big cheer, but unfortunately, that doesn't count. You failed the lancing. 
And your mother's face just maintains its stoic sort of fixed demeanor, but you can see her soldar flare and her hair. It gets a little whiter with her temper. Now she holds it in because she's a master. There's nothing she can't do. I, she she runs the house. She she's had all. She's raised these children. She's mastered four styles of combat. She's a true master warrior. You know, like there's there's nothing about her that isn't disciplined. She would she would be an inferno if she was to let if she was to let that loose. She would consume the city. You know of it, and you know it, and you can feel the heat of her disapproval from here. So when you get off the pony. And the big mouth waterborne who takes the pony's reins says something. You're not even sure what it is that made you put your heel in his forehead like that. Or how the other boy wound up, the other boy who grabbed you from behind and picked you up, wound up on his ass. But by the time you got a grip on this volcanic temper of yours, there were three unconscious boys and a pony in a tree. I can imagine that there would be that moment of... Of, of Zoya kind of standing there panting heavily for a moment or two and then kind of looking, you know, at the boys with a touch of confusion and then at the pony with a raised eyebrow and then immediately looking for mom with that, oh, shit. Yep, and your mom comes around the corner uh, just then and sees this. All she says is, Zoya, we're going home. It's about three weeks after that, that an uncle you've never met before, who, you know, if he's your mother's brother, he should be a flame aspect, right? And if he's your father's brother, he should be an earth aspect, right? Like, fireborn or earthborn. But no, this silver-tongued motherfucker has a wa- he's, he's waterborn. Now, it's not unheard of that, like, you know, there'll be one in the woodpile and it'll it'll slip through now and again, but it's odd because he's Suldar. You know those birthmarks that glow around and, and you know, follow with your tattoos, the ones that you've enhanced so well. Um, those are definitely Pantene Suldar. Which means he was born a fire aspect, but he's wearing water now. This, more than anything, intrigues you. You know, like, how does this happen? And it turns out that, yes, he is your uncle, your mother's youngest brother, and he has mastered two elemental aspect. He did this through diligent study at the Grand Lutus. That's probably when Zoya would turn to her mother and go, Mama, Mama, please, I'd really like to go learn with him. Your mother considers it for a moment, looks at her brother, looks back at you, and she says, Well, I have to do something with you, and if I can't make a soldier out of you, you might as well be famous. Do not disappoint me, Zoya. She, you know, sort of grins in this, like, toothy eight-year-old kind of tomboy grin. You know, comes over to her mother, bows respectfully, and then goes back to her uncle, also bows respectfully, and says, I'm ready to learn, sir. Oh, you'll, you'll learn all right. You'll learn just fine. Don't you worry about that. Now, we're going to be leaving in the morning. I want you up before the sun. You'll do your devotions, as per, and I will meet you to see how your technique is. I am your uncle. You may call me uncle. If you prove yourself enough uh, of a student, maybe you can call me sensei. My name, well, you'll learn that. 
Do you understand me? Yes, sir. And at what time will I be seeing you in the morning, Zoya? Before the sunrise, sir. And where will I be seeing you, Zoya? Making sure that my devotions are done, sir. Very good. I will be seeing you in the morning. And with that, he turns around and just slides off, right? Like, the way he moves is, well, fluid, right? Like, there's no there's no impact. He doesn't bounce at all when he walks. He just kind of flows, right? And it's not creepy or anything, but it is it is very fluid. Like, he's probably a hell of a dancer. But you just see him, like, walk off through the house. He doesn't pay you another another moment, right? So the next morning comes, and you're up, and you've you've greeted the sun, and you've given your proper respects to the emperor and the empress, and uh, you are dressed in your tra- your little training shift, um, standing out in front of your room when he comes to get you. He goes, "Do you have everything you'll need?" "I do, sir." "Is it packed on our carriage?" "It is indeed, sir." "Very good. It will get there ahead of us. Then we're going on foot." And sure enough, the carriage rattles off. An eight-year-old you and your 38-year-old uncle head off to the Lutus. Now, there's going to be like a pastiche here. There's, imagine, if you will, a cutscene of this dour old, you know, this dour old Genazi, well, gladiator. And, you know, fiery little magma skipping along the road, asking a million questions. And him just, you know, quiet, flowing along. And the sun goes up and the sun goes down and you see them camping and she's still waving her hands around asking all the million questions and he's for all intents and purposes ignoring her like handing her a bowl of stew you know and then you know on the road again you know and finally she swats him with a stick to get him to answer her and he turns around and raises an eyebrow and then he is all on fire magma he goes from being this blue-skinned, you know, with this long, wet hair that constantly drains off water, you know, always seeming somehow vaguely wet, to, like, just a complete blaze. And boom, you are on your ass without him ever hitting you. She looks at him and goes, that was amazing! On your feet, girl. Put him shoulder she- width, put him shoulder width apart. I'm going to show you something to do with your energy besides running your damn mouth. And that is when the training starts to take up with them doing forms as the sun rises, walking all day, and then doing forms when the sun sets. Zoe's doing all the cleanup, all of the like, all the cooking, all the cleanup, and it's about a month by the time they break ground on the Lutus. But by then. This eight-year-old girl is noticeably tall. Like she's taller, she's noticeably leaner and stronger. Her the the you know the little bindle that she left with is uh, all in a couple of pa- a couple of pouches at her waist, and uh, she swaggers along every bit as confidently as the fire as the fire gene who walks up to the co- who walks up to the Lutus and uh, bangs on the door when the guard open when the guard opens the slot in the gate it's uh it's like oh yeah it's you yeah come on delverano damn good to see you man come back in and uh delverano wearing his fire aspect goes strolling in you follow him and uh there is a lot of naked people in here in fact just about everybody inside the gates who isn't wearing some sort of armor isn't wearing anything 
and they're working out and they're training and they're, you know, sparring and all this other sort of thing. And uh, I mean, you blush bright orange, first off, right? Because modesty is the virtue of a soldier, right? But, uh, you know, your Uncle Del Verano just doesn't, just doesn't bat an eye. Uh, he leads you up to his cell and, uh, you know, tells you to stay there. After about an hour, he comes back with a bleeding nose. That's kind of when she looks at him and, you know, goes to grab, like, the medical kit and goes, uh, Uncle, you didn't get hurt because of me, did you? <clears throat> um, no, darling, that was the other fellow. I've explained that until your womanhood is upon you, uh, none of them are to be. I will explain what that means if your mama ain't already. But uh, this is not the sort of place for innocence to last long. And so you'll need to pay close attention. That's why we walked. That's why I showed you a few things. Do you understand now, Zoya? I understand now, Uncle. You know my name, but you may not use it. Do you understand me, Zoya? Yes, of course, sir. And you must understand that we do not use the Pentine name in the arena. She kind of frowns a little bit. And goes, why is that? Well, because it's beneath the family dignity, frankly. Well, one step up from actors, and everybody knows what people think of them. And so you should think long and hard, Zoya Pentine, on what you're going to call yourself when you, become, when you become a big, famous gladiator. I'll leave you to think on it. Breakfast is at six in the morning. I'm going to have Doctore look at this nose. i got to keep my looks, after all. Okay? Yes, of course, sir. All right. You just watch me, you listen to me, you do what I do, and you're going to be all right. This isn't such a bad place, I promise you. But it can be. And with that, Delverano leaves leaves you alone, the door closes. Five years go by. Delverano has grown himself a big, foamy beard. Like, it's this beautiful sea-green thing. And now he can manifest both of his aspects at once. Right? And he is the sorcerer of steam in the ring now. You are about 13 years old. And, uh, I mean, the change to womanhood has come upon you and gone. And you are still a virgin because, well, let's face it, your uncle trained you well. Right? And, uh, I mean, you've been living under his protection for a good long while. And he's fighting now. He's going to fight the provincial championships. And uh, this should be pretty good. You don't have to train today, in fact. Because the, you know, it's a holiday. So, I mean, only those people who are fighting have to work, right? You weren't scheduled to fight. You're not on the card till next week. You're still resting up after that... Uh, Unfortunate incident with the Goliath girl in your right shoulder, but, you know, it's mending nicely. Um, and there's your, like, I mean, your uncle's in there and he's facing off against three ogres. And uh, what appears to be some kind of, you know, wilding near humanoid. He's, he's got the grayish green skin of an orc and, you know, uh, like the tusks, but he's not near as big as you've seen orcs. And, um, you know, his ears are kind of pointy and, you know, like he, he doesn't really have that kind of human broadness at all. If anything, he looks really skinny and, uh, you know, your uncle's fighting all of them with a trident. Um, so, I mean, the ogres really 
Ogres are just about taking the knees out. If you can get their knees, you can get an ogre. And, you know, you've demonstrated this recently in the main storyline, but for this, this is the first time you saw somebody climb up an ogre. And, I mean, he makes short work of the first one. The second one, no problem. It's uh, it's the third one who grabs him that he has a hard time getting away from, but, uh, I mean... He does. Unfortunately, he loses the trident that he's fighting with. It's part of his shtick, and he's, you know, frankly, it's not your place as a student to say anything, but he should be drilling with it harder if he wants to use it in public, right? There's been a few mistakes that even you've caught, which are kind of sloppy and a little embarrassing, and uh, like this. So you're wondering when he's going to flow out of this ogre's grasp when the weird wilderling just picks up his trident and puts it right through the back of his neck. Just like that. In front of everybody. It's a moment's hesitation, but it's enough. Your uncle is killed flat out there in front of you. All of your protection is gone. And you are alone at the Ludus now. What's she'd, that um, like? Yeah. yeah, she'd probably spend, you know, like some time at the very least in, in seclusion doing devotions. Um, like, I guess just making sure that the dead are, are, are appropriately honored in, in the way that I, she would, it would be the only way that she would know how, and that would be to continue and to remember the things that he had taught her. Um, but she's doing it alone. Um, although, I mean, she maybe takes two or three days uh, until she, you know, goes back out into the Ludus for training. Um, well, it's, it's carving... The, it's- it's the, carving the, his. The, sorry, go ahead. Sorry, um, like I mean, the fire to which she normally, to which she normally has, like you, you, you can see, like that that spark, the flame, the fire. Um, it's it's very muted. Like it's gone from like this raging inferno, um, to kind of almost like candelabra in the dark in the middle of the night at the moment like it's it's a it's vigil now, bright, yeah but it's yeah it's a it's almost like a candlelight vigil very good the uh yeah it's 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 the saddest you can remember being honestly you haven't been home in a year or so delverano had too much fighting to do and delverano it's carving his name into that plaque to burn along with the rest of him but you have to carve it in the water script that's the thing um in the last five years, you found out that Delverano's an old family name, you know, and like back to the beginning of the Gene people, uh, like the the greatest maestros of House Pantene were were Delverano's, right? Like father to son, father to son. It's an old name, and he he had no children to wear it, you know. It's not your name. You're already magma. Hell, you picked that a couple of years ago for the. For the you know for the junior leagues when you get out and fight those small matches in the arena, you know what do you do right like so you write the name Delverano on that chunk of stone you put it on his funeral pyre and after the days of observance you know when everybody in the Ludus has come to see him and your family hasn't none of them like he said you know don't embarrass her don't embarrass the family it's you who lights his pyre up and sends him off that scene will fade. We now cut in a little bit later. It's probably two years after this. And this complete fumbling boob is sent to the Ludus. He's a rich kid, right? 
his name is he, like he's going to call himself Blaze, and he wants to make a he wants to make a million bucks play. He wants to make a million bucks in the arena, like the big names, you know, killing monsters for the emperor's pleasure. He wants to do this, and like he can't. He's not cut out for the military because he's just so volatile, and he's a fumbling dickhead, and he gets his ass kicked daily for about the first two weeks until finally the softer parts of you can't take it anymore and you take them under your wing and i mean even though it means you have to push your own training by two hours a day you always manage to get a couple of hours in to help this kid out because somebody helped you right and besides, you were sick of listening to him get buggered in the barracks. So, I mean, it's not too long after that that uh, you're pretty good friends. You know, like there's all those stories, all those memories of you and him on the sand. Like pretty soon it was you and him on the sand. When you made your doubles debut, he went with you, right? Because, well, let's face it, nobody else was going to follow you onto the sand after the way you treated them over the way he they treated him. Know what I mean? But onto the sand you went, and yeah, those first few matches it was all you, but then something lit up in him and he lived up to his name. You know, what was that like in your glory days when you were climbing the ladder, heading up to the you know, to the Imperial Summer Games, all the way to the top where the Emperor himself will grant a wish, any wish within his power. And remember he's a god. You know, there's not too much that's outside of his power. He'll grant any wish to the winner of his games. Once a year, he does it. You just have to climb the ladder to be featured in the Imperial Games. Only the best get there, right? But, you know, Blaze said he was going, and he might not have had a lot of talent at first, but he had heart. And under your guidance, he really bloomed, right? Like, he knew how to work the crowd. You, Yeah, you were always the more technical of the two. He did make a few stupid mistakes now and again. But, you know, you had great chemistry. Then there was that day. That day that we don't need to go over again and again. Not the part in the arena, anyway. What was it like when you went back to the Lutus? Quiet. Hollow. It was probably one of those things where, I mean, her stuff was probably sitting out front of the Lutus as it was. But I'm sure there was maybe one thing, of course, that she had kept like hidden in her room, like under a floorboard. And it was basically, she walked in and effectively dared anyone to try and kick her out. And she basically silently went up to her room, punched, not delicately went through, but punched through the floorboard to grab that, that one thing that she had, that she had sequestered away. Mm -hmm. And then coming down, well, that, that's Standing. that's when you see Blaze at the bottom of the stairs, right? And he looks up at you and he's like, "Magma, I, I just, I, I, wow, holy shit, right? I mean, holy shit, right? That's bogus, right? They surely they got to turn that call over. I, everybody saw, like, it, it's got to be turned over, right? We'll be okay, right? He was a senator's son. Yeah, yeah, he's... but." but the fucker attacked me. I, I can't, I can't say much more than that. He he came at me. I saw magma. I, I was right across the arena. I saw it from the sand. 
I, I mean, I, I, they're not going to kick you out for this, are they? I mean, I come on. Know. I don't know, Blaze. I really don't. And that's when Doctor and that's when Doctore cuts you off in the middle of the second. I don't because uh, she comes in and Doctore, she's a great big, thick Earth Mama, and goddamn does she work it, right? She's uh, she's got muscles. She's fucking near seven feet tall, and she is just fucking every ton of her is a woman, you know. And she comes walking, and, she, and that's when she's in the barracks. She goes, "That's enough." Do you have what you need, Magma? Sorry, that's enough. Do you have what you need, Magma? She um, bows respectfully to Del Torre and says, Yes, ma'am, I do. And have you made your decision, Blaze? She's leaving. She is your partner. What is your future going to hold? And, I mean, he's got his bag, Magma. He's got his bag in his hand, right? But it's then that you notice that he's just got his stage clothes in there. Like, his, his stage clothes... The go under the armor and, you know, his his gladius and uh, his cesty. And he's not going anywhere. He's going home. He's coming back to the Ludus. He's not going anywhere with you. I mean, at first, you, you saw the bag. And then the conversation's like, well, wait a minute. We're ready to go, but what if we don't have to? And then Doctor turns you out, and then you realize he never intended to go in the first place. There's a look... That sort of crosses her face and it like that realization for sure sort of flickers and she looks at Blaze with this sort of you never intended to go with me. It was just to and she looks at him and says, Was never your intention to go with me. Right, you're a pentine. You'll be you'll be fine. Everybody can see by your soldar that you're a pentine. You've got all that family and money and you know you're you're i've got nothing but this ludus you understand that right i have no family blaze you were it well i i just can't magma and that's when he walks past you down the hall doesn't turn his back just walks with his bag in his hand like stalking off and that's when doctore herself like, she's right there, and now she's right there, and she puts her hand on your shoulder kind of gently. And she's, um, well, can't say I didn't see that coming. However, you can leave in the morning if you wish. Or we can, well, we can part ways now. You have your stipends for the last couple of months. You should probably get out of Paradio for a while. I'm sorry, Magma, but we have to do this. You understand that. You know it wasn't my fault. You understand that Imprimus has spoken, and that Ludus cannot support what you did, however accidental. It's not me, it's it, it's Imprimus, and... Considering but, all that I and my uncle gave to this Ludus, and you can't be bothered to support me. Your uncle's name will When live. something was not even my fault... Delverano's name will live in glory and honor forever. I'm afraid, Magma, that you've ruined yours. Now. It's that senator's son who ruined it. The earth abides. That's all I can say. Good luck to you. And, uh, like, with that, you didn't even realize that she was walking into the gates. But she takes a step backwards and the gates close. There's a lot of drinking with the money that you have. 
for the next while and like more than a few fire calls and bucket brigades are called to put out a few of your worse explosions of temper we'll say um it's when you wake up underneath a pier with a taste in your mouth like pan fried squirrel asshole and uh pounding headache that you think well better get back at the drinking and that's when you realize you've got about three bucks left to your name. Now, you could spend that on another week of drinking. No problem. Or you could get the hell out and start a new life in a different town. And that's how you wound up in Bailey Mina. We return our focus to the present. It's the next morning and magma is running like mad up at the thousand stairs. It's a thousand stairs, literally a thousand stairs. Who thought it was a good idea to cut a thousand marble stairs into the bedrock of the end of the Balamina Fjord? Well, the Empire, that's who. And it's a hell of a run. Like, whole platoons of soldiers will run up and, and down, and it's fine if they're not wearing armor or packs. You know, that seems like they can do that. But, like, it's hard when you're just a regular person, and it's been a while since basic training, Magma. However, this morning... You're feeling good. You're feeling strong. You stretched those ribs out before you got up this morning. You had a good breakfast and you waited a while. So here you are. You're in good stride. You're three quarters of the way to the top. And, and she's think thinking to herself, I'm still going to punch that oak in the face, the one who clipped me in the ribs with the pickaxe. But you, like you're feeling good. You're, like you're, everything's all good and stretched out. And as you pass the place where you had your coughing fit, two or three days ago, and then the day before that, um, a hooded figure steps out from behind one of the plinths detailing the names of all of the honored dead who sailed off to war for the Empire, but were born in Belimina. And he goes, Miss Magma. <laughs> she kind of slides to a halt, like, boy, 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 looks what over I at the figure and goes, can I help you? Without, like, I mean, there's that black opening in the hood pointing towards you, but for some reason, like, I mean, you really can't make out any features. That's common. Like, people who want privacy will buy these blackout hoods, right? They're the bandit masks of the Runelands, if you will, right? And uh, so, I mean, somebody obviously doesn't want you to know who they are, but by the way they move, they don't seem to be a fighter. At the same time, the way they move, kind of disconcerts you a word if you might please she looks around to see if there's anybody else that might be watching or might be within proximity well you stopped your hands are up because holy shit right so i think i mean take a breath have a look around the the plaza is bustling and that bard is doing his same jigging dance to avoid all of the flying debris while he reads out the news of the day um, you've run by here at least once a day for the past week, um, since, you know, you've started training for the fight. It's tomorrow night. Uh, you haven't really heard much out of Jobsworth or really anybody at all. You just get up, you work out, you do your meditation, uh, you get yourself correct and, you know, you go to bed at night. It's, it's rise, train, sleep, rise, train, sleep. And you've been feeling good lately. The last couple of days, I mean, you didn't make it in one push yesterday, but you felt like you could today, and now this, right? Good thing you've got lots of wind in case anything sneaky is going to go on. Uh, 
I suppose we might have a word. Hopefully you can keep up with I, I shall certainly endeavor to try and jogs along with you. So All right. you're, you're running up the steps and this person doesn't really seem to be um, much of a jogger, really. Uh, they, they move as though they're programmed in 8-bit and shown on high def. If that makes any sense, it's jerky and it, it glitches a bit. And so, like, you kind of, this catches your eye. It's obvious. Nobody else seems to be looking at you. She uh, stops again, sort of tilts her head, sort of at the realization that this thing may, it, it, it looks robotic. It behaves robotic. Um, but she stops and says, uh, all right, what, uh, what do you need of my time? Do you intend to fight tomorrow night? This is unclear. The day has much in store for you. Yes, of course. I intend on fighting tomorrow. Then you should not finish this run. Thank you. <laughs> and she sort of stands there, the sort of hair kind of flickering back and forth, and 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 is sort of like, I'm not entirely sure what to think. It just happened here. Um... All right, she kind of stops and leans against the wall and kind of starts to stretch a little bit, and... Then there's gunfire on the front steps of the legislature, and a senator is gunned down as he leaves his office. The security is, of course, all over this shooter. Uh, some screaming crazy dwarf with a pistol and, uh, and something, and an axe to grind. But yeah, no, the senator's dead, and it would have been right along your path. Uh, all right, um, well, she kind of watches, nods, turns around and goes back the way she came. Yeah, and your companion is nowhere to be seen. I think it's time to go home and pack in the... Oh, I should go and see Mr. Stitch. He was saying something about a medical. She kind of mutters to herself. Although every once in a while she punctuates it with, you know, words in elemental. Fair enough. So, with that, we are going across town where we join... Mr. Locke Calder, Esquire, as he stands in front of a... Are you no? Anyway, as he stands well-dressed and waiting in the foyer to what appears to be like a salon-type room. It's an antechamber of some description, anyway. He's uh, sitting on a well-appointed blue velvet couch. The decor in this room is positively frigid although entirely fashionable, and uh, all in winter colors, that sort of thing. The uh, the door opens, and a half-elven servant girl of indeterminate but teenage years um, ushers him in. As he walks in, um, he exhales, and you can see his breath. Uh, across the room, from where, he's, from where he enters, there's a lady with long white hair and, you know, like snowy white skin and these piercing blue eyes and vivid red lips sitting in a white gown that hugs her like a coat of frost. She's sitting at a table stirring some rapidly cooling tea as mist steams off of the hot pot on the table across from her. Mr. Calder? Hello, please allow me to introduce myself. I am. I know who you are, Mr. Calder. Get to the point. Uh, my apologies. 
Thank you very much for seeing me today. Uh, I hope I do not overstep, but I did bring a small token of my appreciation. I hand her a small box. She takes the box from you and uh, has a look at the tasteful, um, the tasteful, the tasteful wrapping paper, and she kind of blows on it, and it vanishes with a puff of into a puff of like glittering dust, which sounds like children laughing on an ice rink. As it settles, it folds itself back into the paper, but neatly next to the next to her teacup. She opens the box very gracious or very delicately and looks in and sees uh sees what's within why don't you tell us what that is what what you see here is a rare leaf from scald but it has been encased in everfrost everfrost oh my how exquisite a pendant yes well i i am the purveyor of finest curiosities and small wonders and now you have my attention well thank you I've recently made acquaintance of a fellow by the name of Arabet. He has some companions. They have come to me seeking my assistance. The reason I'm here today is they intimated that they are in the employ of her ladyship, and I'm here to confirm this, and if not, inform her of this chicanery. Have a biscuit. Tell me of Skyld. I'll have a goblin on it immediately. Ah, well, I must admit, I have not been there myself. This is uh, one of the many objects that have found its way into my collection. Oh, yes. You're, you're the one with the street. Oh, yes, I know. Um, of course. Excuse me. Yes, your, your curiosity shop. I hear you have a prognosticator. Oh, you have excellent taste, uh, curiosity amongst curiosity. Yes, um, I understand it's in working order. Pardon me? I understand yours is in working order. Uh, yes, um, insofar as a uh, prognosticator of this type ever works. Well, is it for sale? Everything in my shop is for, for sale. Oh, I do like the way you think, Mr. Calder. More tea? Uh, rather. In time, this tea and conversation turns into, uh, you know, Calder putting his coat on because they play chess for a while and spar over that, and in time, a uh, frigid little goblin man comes to, comes walking up in fine dress and uh, hands this white lady an envelope. And uh, the white lady looks at the envelope and then at you and says, Well, how invested are you in this knowledge, Mr. Calder? They have approached me, uh, joining an enterprise of theirs. I am, uh, of course, always cautious in my business prospects. Um, however, I do see the possibility of uh, this being quite profitable, so I am, I am definitely invested. Hmm. I'm curious to know what lies within this envelope as well. However, I appreciate it if you prefer discretion, and so the price is different for both. Which would you like it to be? I can hand you the envelope and you can walk away with it, no problem. And for that, I think that I'll trade you that wonderful prognosticator of yours. Unopened, of course, it's much more expensive. Because I can't have secrets leaking around without my knowledge, especially 
about the office of the Warlock of Autumn, you see. Ah, I understand. Um, you have been a most gracious host, uh, so I would not do the disrespect of negotiation. Uh, I will have the prognosticator delivered this very day. You are too kind. I take the envelope. <laughs> okay, the um, envelope. That was the price for the opened envelope, Mr. Gordon. Unopened? Well, let's just say you agree to it now, and I'll let you know what it is when it comes to. It's nothing terribly dire or anything. I'm sure it will just be a, a favor. You get your hands on some curio or other at some point in future. I'm sure you can find people who know how to do that sort of thing. As an ever-faithful servant of a ladyship, I would, of course, be happy to agree to those terms. Well then, please accept my boon and blessing for the rest of your day and have a very good time. Unfortunately, I have a four o'clock. Thank you very much for your time. Would you have the prognosticator delivered here? Oh, to my... To my residence on the island, up the fjord, if you would. Of course. My man will let you know how to get it there. Well, thank you again. Enchanté. As well. Uh, do call again, Mr. Calder. By the time Calder leaves there, uh, like, his hair is frozen, his mustache is stiff, and, uh, like, the, the tea is frozen in the pot. It's positively arctic in there. Uh, he gets out into the humid air of the Bailey spring morning and opens his coat with a gigantic sigh. From there, he holds the closed envelope, which is steaming with cold in the, in the humid morning, and then watches his name appear in exquisite calligraphy on the front of the envelope. The focus reopens on Granick's place, and there's these two burly humans uh, kind of circling each other with their hands up. And, you know, these two dudes, they're stripped right down to the waist. Their fists are all wrapped up with rope and, you know, like the, like the way they do. And they're, they're, they're squaring off. And, uh, you know, nobody wants to throw a punch or anything like that. And then, you know, it just happens so lightning fast. It's like, bam, bam, two, a quick exchange, bam, bam, and bam. And the third shot is a big overhand right, right on the shelf of the other guy's chin. He's down, out cold. The winner puts his hands up, and like, you know, that's the end of the amateur round. So, you know, the guy who's out gets picked up and dragged off the sand, and the place starts to fill up. Grenix has usually got kind of a disreputable crowd, but on a fight night like tonight, it's uh, it's busy, right? Because it's, it's a weekend thing, right? Like, people don't work tomorrow, and might as well go out. Grenix is bumping when we rejoin when we rejoin it, and it gets under under sway. And there are wait staff, you know, you know, circulating through the rowdy crowd all over the place. Now, in the ring, there is a steady, bright, unwavering flame that is magma, sitting there, quiet and calm within herself. Her fists are wrapped. She is dressed. Uh, do you want to describe yourself, please, magma? Uh, like physical description? Um, sure. sure. Like, uh, how are you feeling? How are you? Like, tell us the whole thing. Why don't you intro to how you're getting ready for the match? You've just gotten in. You've just gotten into the ring. Please continue. So, um, well, if she's in the ring, she'll, uh, I mean, she's dressed, basically, she's 
dress to kick ass and take names. Um, her hair is is tied um, like braided and tied back so that you can't get um, a good enough hold on it. Um, and it's not going to be like flailing around and getting in her way. Um, the sides are like freshly shaved. Um, her, her skin is, is not so much oiled, but there's, there's a dewiness kind of to it, which seems kind of weird given the fact that she is so, she is so fiery. She is flame and the tattoos themselves are starting to kind of flicker, um, kind of of their, their, their own accord, like whatever direction her hair kind of goes the 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 tattoos go in the opposite direction it's really weird but she's sitting there cross-legged on the top turnbuckle um you know hands like interlaced together and you know randomly switching positions her eyes are closed she is like total zen moment waiting until basically either the bell rings or somebody introduces her but she is totally chill Okay, so from the crowd behind you, you hear, is that, uh, isn't that, she, she looks a lot like that, uh, you know, that one, she used to, she used to be Blazy's partner, you know, that one, oh yeah, Magma, yeah, 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 I, I think that uh, this one is uh, some kind of tribute act or something, uh, I don't know what happened to that other one, she, uh, yeah, I think I remember her, yeah, no, that's her, I think that's her, yeah, I remember, yeah, Blazy's new girlfriend is hotter anyway, yeah, whatever, She'll be, we'll see. She's nothing without him. And, uh, you know, so on and so forth. And, uh, you know, varying opinions just filter in. And you pick out a couple of voices that if you ever see them in a dark alley, you, you know, might want to ask them if they actually would do that to you or if they actually held that opinion or anything. Like, it's big to talk behind somebody's back. And, you know, um, you know. I think just to, just to unnerve certain people especially the ones that are like super super grotesque with whatever it is they're saying all she does is simply stop in terms of her hand motion and one like almost flicks out like almost like a a, a, like the strike of a match just one flicks out and points like two fingers directly at him her eyes are still closed but she's pointing at him and does nothing else and the second she does that, he just kind of trails off insensibly and then goes away. And, you know, you know, you collect your arm back and, you know, fold your hands again. And then the lights come on from above. And Grunick gets in the ring. And he's got this amplification collar on. It's like an amulet that, uh, you know, it's like a, like a torque with a thing that holds an amulet out in front of his mouth. So that whatever he says is uh, amplified and translated. So whatever language you happen to think in is the language that he's speaking. So he gets out and goes, Ladies and gentlemen, Greenwich's Amateur Sports Emporium is overjoyed to announce that we have for you the sporting event of this season. Ladies and gentlemen, right here at Grenix, we have the return of a potential champion. You might remember her from a couple of years ago when she killed the Shogun's nephew. Well, she's back, and she's better than ever. She looks great. I've seen her move. She can fight. You can't, you wouldn't believe it. Ladies and gentlemen, put your hands together. The magma! And there's like a, a spattering of applause, right? 
So you kind of jumped out into the ring with that. He goes, now, over in this corner, well, here's a man who needs no introduction. Because uh, I can't say his name. It's the ogre! And a literal ogre climbs into the ring with you. Roll initiative. Oh, fantastic. All right. So um, as the ogre gets in, the crowd just goes ape shit, right? And uh, he don't even really seem to be paying much attention. He's looking out in the crowd. And as far as ogres go, he's he's pretty handsome, really. Like, he doesn't seem to have all the scars and mashed-in face. And, you know, if anything, he looks like he's been city-raised, you know? And um, really, he's kind of thick. And by that, he lacks a lot of the muscle that you would expect an ogre to have. He's just a big, fat dude, really. Uh, and the crowd just loves him. He's got all these tattoos on that, you know, have... Really, there you go, giant 10-foot frat boy. What'd you get for initiative? I got a 17. My initiative modifier is plus 5, so yeah, rolled a twin, uh, 12 plus 5, 7. Well done. Okay, one second. All right, so he gets a 9. You're up. He's too busy showing off the whole rest of the, the room. He doesn't really seem to give a damn about you. Um, he's like giving high fives to people at the side of the ring and stuff like that. So you got him. Go ahead. Okay. Is he like, is he in the ring or is he outside or out? Like oh, kind no. of prancing? Or- he's, he's inside the ring reaching out cause he's an ogre with like really long arms. Um, yeah, he's, he's reaching outside the ring, giving people, uh, giving people high fives sitting by the side of the ring, you know, that sort of thing. He's not paying attention. He's like leaning on the ropes and ass towards you when you when the bell rings yeah not paying any attention to you really fantastic all right she'll um she'll basically kind of look around at the crowd you know kind of playing it up a little bit kind of shrugs and then lightning fast just zips right over and kicks in the back of his leg all right, so there's uh, you just look around and everybody's kind of worshiping the ogre, and you're like, okay, that's enough of this. And uh, with a zip, you go in, give it a roll. Okay, so my hit DC is plus eight. Let me do the roll. Uh, does a 13 hit? Indeed, it does. You uh, nail him in the back of the knee, which buckles out from underneath him, and uh, he goes down like that. The crowd, you've got the crowd's attention. They stop cheering for him, and Hush falls over the room. As he stands up and goes, ha! Good one. Good, because that was my first attack. <laughs> I get to. Um, so, yeah, like, as soon as he, he goes flailing, she'll, you know, follow it up with uh, a good smack, I guess, to, um, uh, let's go with the solar plexus. Um, right. Yeah, yeah we'll go with that. All right, so you you nail him in the knee, and when he turns around to backhand you, you kind of duck under that one and give him a knee of your own, in right in the solar plexus. What did you roll for that? I rolled another thirteen. Okay, that nails him right on. So uh, now it's his turn now, and he's going to try to grab you. Um, I will blow a key point for. Uh, I believe I can blow a key point for patient defense. Let me just quickly pull. The- mm-hmm. Because I have not used my bonus action. So, yes, I will spend a key point for uh, patient defense, which will give him disadvantage. Okay. Just note that in my dice roller here. 
no, okay, so uh, that's an eight, and my armor class is much higher than that. So very much so, yes. He kind of like he he's reaches around to grab you with that, like that's his attack. Rolls reaches around to grab you, but you just duck underneath his arm and like kind of inside his grip and just feed him this knee, and he oof. Roll your damage, please. Uh, for both attacks, that will be 1d6 plus 5. Yep, so we're at a base of 10, plus 2d6. Uh, the first one is 10. Okay. Second one is 9, so 19 points of damage total. Substantial. You, uh, you hit him hard enough to lay him on his back. The crowd goes quiet. There's, there, there's, just, there's just crickets. Then he kips up and roars at you. Reaches over and grabs one of the sides, uh, one of the posts from the ring and tears it out, right? Takes a couple of seconds of snapping to pull the, to pull the ropes off it. But uh, everything's shaking and every, like, like the, the whole ring is shaking when he does this. And it's like, ah, funny, huh? Let's see how funny you are now. New round. Go ahead. Yeah. Do I still toy with this guy? You know what? Yes, I think I will still toy with this. All right. I am going to, once again, smack him twice with my unarmed strike. Okay. Um, and with one of those attacks, I am going to spend a key point for a Radiant Sunbolt. Fantastic. All right. Uh, so, roll on then. Okay, so my first unarmed strike is a 14. That hits. So that first attack is another 10 points of damage. Um, I might as well do the Radiant Sunbolt attack on that. Okay. Oh, uh, as a matter of fact, you know, that is a plus eight. Oh, I have been, Okay, never mind. I'm good. I'm good. So, yes, my second attack is a 19. Oh, beauty. And yeah. I believe I roll 3d6. Let me just double check that. Yep. No, surprisingly, Radiant Sunbolt is only 1d6 plus 5. Well, it's still, yeah, it's still another unarmed attack's worth, right? So, yeah, good for you. So, this is true. Boom, yeah. So, you, uh, why don't you tell oh, us what uh, that looks like? 11, 11 points of damage. And as a matter of fact, yeah. So, basically, you know, as he picks up the, the, the you know, the post to try and smack her with it, um, you literally see her go into this stance and her tattoos start to kind of flicker almost kind of like a, a match being struck a couple of times, like on, uh, you know, on the, the, the sandpaper to try and spark it. And it's like, it's this, it's like gunpowder when it's been lit, right? It just kind of like oh, this fuse yeah, just goes yeah, right okay. up her arms. Right. And then she right just, on. yeah. And basically okay. just throws it as, as her arm comes forward to, to land the strike, to land the hit. Yeah, so the first one she lashes out with, like the the thing is, like it was it was a fight, and you were you were willing to keep. Yeah, I can see that. I would just see the features on her face change as the uh, as, as okay, you're serious now. You want to do this? Okay, it's over with. And uh, with that, like you say, magma lights up. Like let's not forget that that's is only leather holding her hair, right? And right now, yeah, she's probably pretty good and mad. I would imagine, right? Yeah, she's she's getting pretty. Yeah, I mean, it's bad enough the crowd was poking at her before, so you know, she's just I, using that. And, and and now now like what's supposed to be a boxing match is life and death. What the fuck, ogre? Right? 
anyway, not to put thoughts in your head, but like, you know, like you're starting to burn. So yeah, as soon as everything fly, as soon as everything fires up and he takes a swing with that post, uh, it don't get halfway before the end just blows off into splinters, which go into his face, all hot cinders and shards. And there's your sunbolt attack. And as he's batting those away, uh, attack number one, just to the inside of the femur is a hard heel stomp strike. You can hear the crack as his hip dislocates. Incidentally, the same knee that you caved in a minute ago. As for the solar plexus, too good for the asshole. Back flipping, heel strike under the chin, flips him flat over and a complete flip to land on his belly. There is still stunned silence from the crowd. And when the ref looks, climbs over what's left of the ropes, he is flat out cold. Looks at the crowd and says medic and the crowd just completely erupts into a huge explosion of applause and cheers and you know, there are flowers flying and little tiny illusions, strangely enough. Um, as you're kind of looking around the crowd, Magma, uh, it, like, yeah, there's this anarchy of species in this net, but for just a brief minute, uh, you happen to be looking over toward the bets window where you can see uh, Nari is lined up to collect his winnings and uh see the kobold has just collected a big bag of money and run off interesting you see this over to nari um you're waiting in line behind this kobold who just won a substantial sum of money before effing off in the direction of the door uh and you know you you caught the end of the fight there was never never in any question but the crowd's going nuts nobody's letting you anywhere near her um the only ones who are who are anywhere close to her, of course, Stitch, who was sitting on the uh, sitting in her corner as her corner man, and uh, Arabet, who was kind of leaning over on the rail next to the stairs, you know, waiting to go collect the money. Um, but the crowd's just going crazy; everything's jumping and hopping around. And again, Nari, you see this go on. Ziva, you've just how thrilling, you know? You're Nari, you're all fucked up. So go ahead. Nari, why have you like never told me about this place? It's amazing. Well, you were sorry. Excuse me. You were too young uh, before you went away to uh, to to your studies. Oh, yeah, yes, okay. But like, I totally need to come here like all the time. There's so much good stuff here, and it's like, oh, there's been so much death here. I can just feel it everywhere, and it's just. it's like it's like i don't know it's like i could smell it and then like and magma she kicks ass she's amazing and that ogre oh it almost died and what i wouldn't give to get my hands on that skeleton it's huge would be so much fun so much to work with anyway what are you doing well i'm collecting uh a couple of uh extra coins here from my uh Oh yeah, I bet a little. I just bet a little bit because I wasn't really sure how this worked. Yeah, you know, like uh, I mean, I'm just betting like small change as it were, just getting around money, right? Yeah, I, I, well, like I didn't really know how the betting and stuff worked, so I didn't want to get like ripped off. Okay, it's right about then that uh, Arabette in the uh, is is in the dressing room with Magma and Stitch and. You know, you're taking the things, you're taking the, uh, you're taking the wraps off and, and all of this other sort of thing. 
she still has wraps? They're probably burnt off with that radiant sunbolt. Well, sure, but they're around your wrists and like they have to be cut off because they're knotted every so often for extra grinding and, you know, headlocking rope burn power, right? It's They're literally tied on your... They're, they're a big knot that's tied around your hands so you can fight in them. That's amazing. Yeah. So you've so so you've got to like yeah you did burn your hands free. You could type if you wanted to, but you still got to get the the parts off your wrists. So as you're sitting there and uh, Stitch is you know you know calming you down with his bardic talents and cutting the cutting your the the parts off your wrists, uh, and Bet is over leaning on leaning on the lockers by the door. Um, there's a goblin that appears in your dressing room. Excuse me. Is this a bad time? Not really. What can we do for you? Out of bed. Out of bed. Thrasher would like a word with you from his box. Your associates are all, of course, invited. And I would suggest that you collect your winnings before you go. I look at it like it's a snack for a moment. It looks back at you and doesn't flinch. Magma sort of, you know, wiggles her hand at Stitch and pokes him and is like, I beg your pardon, but you still have rope to untie me from. Not that I normally mind, but I'd like to get out of this, please. Sorry, sorry, uh, yes. We'll be there momentarily. Magma looks like she is slowly cooling down. Um, She's pulled her hair out of, of course, the the combat braid and is kind of letting it do its own kind of wild thing. It still flickers every now and again, kind of like Flame does, as she kind of looks at the rest of her companions and says well i hope at the very least the lot of you are rich off that fat as we return we're still in the dressing room uh magma's getting out of the shower and uh arabette and stitch have gotten her have given her enough time to and space that she can get dressed um whereupon a familiar voice is heard from behind a row of lockers magma are you in here are you decent if you're not it ain't like i like i ain't seen tits before i got money for you yeah, just let me pull the shirt over my head and my pants over my ass. Or you can come in if you like. It makes no never mind to me. Well, don't mind if I do. And he goes walking in and just has a very leering look at you when he puts a pouch of money on the on the bench that looks to be about 200 coins heavy. She, uh, you know, finishes pulling up or on things, kind of looks over at the pouch appreciatively nods her head um, and says, well, not bad amount of coin for for a nut like this. I thank you, Mr. Grenick. And there'll be more like that next week. We'll see you then. Uh, yes, of course. All right, then. Good fight. I think Thrasher wants you and your, uh, wants you and your manager upstairs after this. Uh, don't worry about him. He's a regular client. Please don't worry him. He's a regular client. I'm more worried about you, Grenick. But yes, I'll behave myself. Anyway, good job tonight, kid. Keep it up. And he, uh, like, walks away and throws your towel. Right? And, uh, you finish getting dressed and get up into the, you know, and kind of catch up with everybody else. And, um, you know, they've all kind of congregated around the lobby. And when you they see you coming, uh... You're all shown upstairs to Grenny or to Thrasher's box. Now Thrasher's box has a couple of uh, well-dressed bugbears in decent suits uh, standing on either side of the door, and uh, 
as you approach. Um, they see Arabet. One of them stands aside and opens the door, looks at you in the eyes and says, Evening, Bet. Evening, Joe. Go right in. Thrash is waiting for you. Thank you, sir. As you file into Thrasher's box, it's uh, well appointed. It's um, actually the it's, it's actually quite fashionable and uh, quite a bit more upscale than you were expecting for a box seat in a joint like this. Which, let's face it, none of us really expected to have box seats because it's just a cheap fight club, right? Yet here it is. Um, looking up at it from the ring, you might have thought it was the office, but no, it's Thrasher's box, and it's quite Tony. There are enough seats for everybody, and uh, there's Thrasher sitting beside the window, watching the Fix-It crew put a new post on the ring uh, while the next match has been delayed, and while the cleanup crew also tries to figure out how to get an unconscious ogre out of a bar. I'm sure it's happened before, but nobody had a floating disc ready just then. Conveniently, Ziva does. Thrasher himself is waiting, and Thrasher is a middle-aged hobgoblin. He's sitting when you arrive, and he doesn't bother to get up. He's sitting by the window at a desk with his feet up. Kind of looks over to see you come in. Doesn't say anything to Arabet. But as soon as Stitch walks in, he says, Grey winter morning. It's been a long time. Oh, hello. Please come in. I have fresh salmon. Would you like some? You know me a little too well. Let's um, act less familiar and pretend that uh, I don't want the salmon. Ah, uh, okay. Let's not, we'll, we'll keep it between old friends, eh? It's, it's in the icebox. Help yourself. Arabet, sit down. Yes, Dasher. Bet, this is a hard conversation for me to have with you. I have allowed you to operate in my purview as a talented independent for a long time now. This arrangement has worked well between us because, well, you're a boatsman, Bet. But now I hear rumors that you are sneaking around very... Big boats full of money, which would attract the wrath of the Legion, were someone to be caught. Now, I would like to ask you, since you have expanded your business without even seeking permission from me, how I'm not supposed to take this as an insult. We've been friends for a long time, Bet, so I'm going to give you the chance to explain yourself, starting now. Yes, Thrasher. No disrespect was ever intended. At first, the prospect of such a job was just a prospect and not actually a going concern. Before it would be a going concern, of course, I would consult with you and offer you your deserved cut. It's not my doctor set tariffs on. You know who I've given that to. You'd have to talk to them. Yes, yes, indeed. But you still, as you say, have allowed uh, me to operate in in order for us to continue to operate. Uh, I would respect that. Oh, let's not speak of continuations of certain behaviors, Bet. You're already angry enough. You haven't paid a lick of guild dues for any of your breathing days because you are friends who make it worth my while not to collect them from you. However, there is only so much... Insouciance I can I can withstand from people who live in my neighborhoods. Do you understand that? See, 
Uh, you may not have intended any offense, but it should have been the first thing on your mind. So, as it happens, I made a pile of money off your fiery friend here, and if she likes whiskey, I would suggest she try the red bottle. Well fought, maiden. Ah, very kind of you to say so, sir. And uh, I will take you up on the suggestion. Please help yourself. Uh, a very generous host. Aren't I, Arabet? Always. And so I might suggest that if you would can, if you would seek further hospitality on my part, that you make this egregious sin you've committed right forthwith, and stop any ideas of stealing the Imperial payship and bringing the Legion to my harbors. There are other jobs that you can do, starting with the one where you start kissing my ass tonight. You can take however many of these people with you that you want, but I have a rat problem, and I need you to take care of it. Forthwith forthwith in the morning, on the insurance import docks, I need you to go down there and speak to those fellas. You know how to speak gobs, so mind your manners. And if all goes well, we can keep... The thought of an arrangement on the table. If all goes very well, maybe I won't make an example of you. But I suggest you hustle and make this correct forthwith. Do you understand? What sort of rat problem do you have? <clears throat> the kind that I don't want to fucking deal with, Bet. Have I not been clear? Clear enough. Get the fuck out of here and the rest of you enjoy your stay. I'll be leaving. You, on the other hand, go home and start making a good plan this time. And with that, he just stands up and imperiously marches out on his articulated peg leg. Just walks out, leaves the door open, places completely open to all of you. He cares that little about it. What's on your mind, folks? Magma has a glass of the red box whiskey, and as the hobgoblin starts to hobble his way out, she, you know, raises the glass to him. And, uh... You know, takes a sip and gets this sort of pleasantly surprised look on her features. And it's like, oh, oh, I do believe the suggestion was a correct one. Uh, I do so very much enjoy this. This was very nice. He is a goblin of surpassingly exquisite taste. I think it went rather well. (laughs) (laughs) You always do, Stitch. Well, that's episode two of the Rapscallions. Next week, join us for episode three, part one. Rapscallions and the Rats. Full credits, show notes, credentials, and ways to support the podcast should you be into that are available at runewise.games. Check it out. And thanks for listening. Until next, take care.